If you have a Bible with you, uh, please open to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes 1, or you can follow along. The same text is printed there in your bulletin. Um, just to let you know, I'm, I'm paying attention about masks and hoping that we can uh, make them optional very soon. Um, if you have peculiar insight into that that I don't have, uh, please speak to me, especially about kids. That's the part I know the least about, so um, I'm eager to do without them, but I don't want to be premature, so um, let me know if, you, if you've got an angle, all right? Happy Mother's Day. Um, sorry if you were expecting a big Mother's Day celebration. For all you know, the reason that we haven't made a big deal about Mother's Day today is because of deep, convictional, theological principles that I hold about Mother's Day and worship. As far as you know, that's the reason. I went to a church once uh, in Atlanta, and in the announcements before the church, uh, the elder got up and said, uh, we appreciate our mothers and the contribution they make to uh, the kingdom of God, but we want to make one thing perfectly clear. Today is the Lord's day. It is not Mother's Day, and He will share His glory with no other. I was like, that is metal. <laughs> so the other reason could be that I thought it was the 16th, and... Um, <laughs> I argued a long time with Julie about that, and uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's her love language. Um, so what you get today is like more of a commencement speech than a Mother's Day sermon. Um, I'm not sure how good of a commencement speech it is, though. It's a little dark. Uh, I noticed that uh, Anthony Fauci had several engagements as a commencement speaker this year. Uh, the civil rights lawyer, uh, Brian Stevenson, had four commencement speeches to give. I would probably just give one commencement speech four times if I were him. Uh, a couple of years ago, Southampton College had Kermit the Frog as their commencement speaker, uh, which I would have felt a little ripped off by. Uh, Solomon would make sense, famously wise. Solomon uh, either wrote this or someone writing in the guise of Solomon wrote, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not easy to say for sure, but I don't see a big reason to see it's not Solomon. So, um, you know, he's notoriously, famously wise. He, uh, when he became king in Israel, God said, ask me anything you want. And instead of asking for wealth or power, uh, Solomon asked for wisdom. And that was apparently a really good answer. He got a lot of credit for that and became very wise. He uh, is behind most of the Proverbs that we have in the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Uh, famously wise person. But in the passage we're looking at today... He doesn't seem all that happy about being wise. Uh, as a matter of fact, his commencement speech goes uh, something like this as he looks into the you know, unspoiled faces and curious bright eyes of the graduates. He says, you know, being wise has caused me to hate my life. But good luck to you. <laughs> That's his commencement speech. Being wise has caused me to hate my life which is uh, maybe not what you're expecting to hear when you look at the Bible. Right? But it's there for an important reason, for us to see the futility of wisdom that we're able to gather only on our own as human beings. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today because it leads us to a hope uh, that is pretty substantial. So let me pray for us and then we'll read the Scripture. Father, we ask that you would... Um, 
open our hearts and our minds to you as we think about what Solomon has said to us here and what you say to us through your word. Uh, We want to have hope in a wisdom that is uh, beyond the sun and not just what we can gather ourselves. And so we're here to listen to you. And we ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me this beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1, and then we'll skip over to a section in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Then in verse 12 of chapter 2. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? I mean, only what has already been done. And then I saw there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And this is the word of the Lord. I hate God. Coelet is Solomon, the preacher's name. It's referred to differently in the in the book. Uh, thinking about this week reminded me of the old uh, Bare Naked Ladies song. The Bare Naked Ladies, the Canadian band, who are none of those things. Um, their song "Pinch Me" that was got fairly famous back in the day, but. It was a very happy, lilty tune to a very dark, Solomonic, Ecclesiastes-like lyric. Because in their idea of the search was, uh, they said, like a dream you try to remember, but it's gone. You try to scream, but it only comes out as a yawn when you try to see the world beyond your front door and to figure out what all this is for. So they say, pinch me, because I'm still asleep. Please, God, tell me that I'm still asleep. And they sing it nice and jaunty, but it's it's a very poignant and sad song. Uh, When I try to find out what all this is for, I feel like I must be asleep. That's the best case scenario. Um, Solomon has a similar theme without the jaunty tune to go with it. He thinks that uh, life and wisdom and the search that we're on for meaning 
is mostly only vexation and doesn't have many rewards to it. Uh, Our own uh, William Price describes the book of Ecclesiastes as God's paint thinner uh, because it strips away false hopes that we might have in order that we might hope in what's actually true and substantial. But the stripping away process is pretty violent and it's pretty dark here. He's not doing this just to be mean, though. He's disabusing us of false hopes, and that's why this is hopeful. He uses the phrase, under the sun, uh, to distinguish what's observable in human experience and in the material world from things that might be beyond the sun, which is where he thinks true wisdom lies. And we'll come back to that hope as we go along. But he says, what we can gather and learn by human wisdom under the sun is futile and is empty. And so he's disabusing us um, to figure out what all this is for. We have to look beyond what's under the sun. He has a couple of problems with wisdom, which is like his best guess about how he's going to find meaning in life. I'm going to become as wise as I can. I'm going to learn as much as I can, and not just to know it, but also to be wise in thinking and using it. That's going to be the best way, surely, to uh, figure out what the meaning of life is and what's the best way to live it. But he has two issues that he brings up with that. One is um, that gaining wisdom increases vexation. Instead of making your life sweeter and better, it makes your life worse. It's kind of a complicated ignorance is bliss argument that he's making, right? He says in verse 18, In much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Increase knowledge is an increase in sorrow. Makes you feel like you overpaid for your tuition, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Um, but it's the point he makes. You know, Socrates gets credit for saying the unexamined life is not worth living, right? I believe. Well, Solomon says the examined life ain't got that much to recommend it either. Right? The examined life may make you more sorrowful than the unexamined life. There is a correlation between being dumb and being happy, apparently. And uh, I think I buy into that. Um, I heard one comedian say this. He said uh, that being drunk doesn't make you happy. He said being drunk makes you dumb, and being dumb makes you happy. And I think Solomon would have said, yeah, that's about right. You know, the increase in knowledge increases sorrow. Because it gives you eyes to see things that you'd probably be happier not seeing. And it causes you to think about things that you'd probably prefer not to think about or know about. And um, so he says that's one of the problems that increases vexation. The other uh, objection he has to becoming wise is he says, um, since you're going to die, what difference does it make? And you're going to die just like foolish people die, no matter how wise you are. And so how much does it really matter how you live? That's what he says. I mean, he starts to say it's better in verse 13. You know, there's more gain in wisdom than folly. There's more gain in light than darkness. A wise person has eyes in his head. The fool walks in darkness. But then I perceive the same event happens to both of them. And this is discouraging. Life is short. Then you die. Who really cares how wise you got along the way? Um, ultimately, what does it matter? What does it benefit you? And he says it feels like vanity to him. It feels like just chasing after the wind. All the books you've bought, all the conversations you've had, all the teachers you've listened to, ultimately, what does it get you? 
and he's pretty dark about that. He even tries folly. He, you know he, how he includes madness and folly in the same sentences as wisdom, which is kind of odd, but you sort of think like it's just what you run into when you realize wisdom is just causing you vexation. You think maybe I should lighten up and just try to have fun in life, and maybe that's the best way through it. He talks about a more Epicurean and sophisticated kind of pleasure at other parts of the book. But here he's saying, you know, why don't you just turn off your mind for a while and maybe you'll be happier. Um, But then he says, that didn't really work either. Verse uh, 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but uh, trying to herd the wind, literally. That's what he says there. Trying to herd the wind. It's pointless. The bare naked ladies uh, talk about this in their song too. It's the perfect time of day to throw all your cares away, to set the sprinkler on the lawn. A lawn is, is um, plants in your yard that are short and green. They have them in Phoenix. Anyway, put the sprinkler on the lawn and run through with your gym shorts on. Take a drink right from the hose, change into some drier clothes, climb the stairs up to my room, and sleep away the afternoon. And... In their song, they said, yeah, but that's despair too. That's despair too. Their conclusion after that is, pinch me. Please, God, tell me that I'm still asleep. Uh, Wisdom, I mean, madness and folly don't create a better path for us to find meaning in life than wisdom. So why does he tell us this? He's trying to unmask false hopes. He's trying to disabuse us of things that we would wrongly hope in. Like, if we were doing this 20 or 25 years ago, I'd probably talk about progress and uh, the leftover optimistic humanism that believes that man is perfectible and that we can accomplish anything we want if we just put our minds together and cooperate and, boy, there's no problem we can't solve. And, you know, nobody talks like that anymore, but they used to. And there's sort of a confidence. If there's a confidence like that left, it's in technology, that technology will solve whatever problems we have, but most people don't even really have that hope anymore. Um, more often people uh, take refuge in cynicism, and not, not just a dark, grumpy kind of cynicism, but the cynicism that says, I'm giving up on asking questions about why in life, and I'm just going to ask questions about how. I just, I just want to know how to hack life and make it work out well for me. I'm giving up on the why questions. Um, the universities themselves have given up on the why questions for the most part. Uh, philosophy departments are hanging on by their fingernails, right? Because that's useless information. You're asking why questions when, of course, there are no answers to why questions, and the Chinese are getting ahead of us with computers, right? So let's do STEM, right? Let's do, I'm a liberal arts major, if you couldn't figure that out. That's why I'm grumpy about this. But, um, There might be a couple of long hairs in the physics department trying to find a a unified theory of everything, but they're outliers, let's just say. The why questions have gone by the wayside, and um, the how questions are all that we're even willing to ask anymore. Dylan Thomas had a poem about uh, useful Christmas presents, and it was pretty funny uh, because he was talking about getting Christmas presents that are useful, you know, like socks. Or mittens, and nobody wants a useful Christmas present. Or books about little boys who are warned not to skate on the thin ice and didn't listen, that don't have any pictures in them. 
You know, he's talking about things like that. But the last thing he mentions as a useful present, he says uh, that ants will give you um, books that tell you everything there is to know about wasps, except why. Everything there is to know about wasps, except why. And I love that. That was his complaint. Because uh, to live without the question of why is to live in basic despair. And if we're not going to answer the question of why, you might still do really well in school. You might still make all A's and flunk life, as Walker Percy says. If you can't ever get to why, what are we here for? What is all this for? And what does it mean? And so Solomon's trying to get us there. His agenda is to urge us to despair of the wisdom we can find under the sun so that we'll look beyond the sun uh, for wisdom and beyond the grave for wisdom. He's, of course, not speaking spatially, you know, above the sun, below the sun. He's speaking temporally more, like life as we experience it here uh, versus what God might mean to us if we were to pay attention to him. So, like, uh, Thoreau talked about the search, and he described it as... um, trying to discover our basic relationship to the universe. And under the sun, our basic relationship to the universe is that we are a meaningless accident, right? On a small and significant planet. But Solomon says the search is for us to discover our original relationship to God. And real wisdom that will matter to us Uh, starts with the fear of the Lord, as he says in the Proverbs. It starts with the fear of God. Uh, That's why in our New Testament reading uh, from 1 Corinthians, it said, uh, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise, not because he's anti-intellectual or wants us to be, but because he says the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. And therefore, through the foolishness of the preaching of Jesus Christ, we actually find him to be the wisdom of God, something we could never find uh, through our own explorations under the sun. He himself is the wisdom of God. It doesn't say Jesus is the ultimate guru, like Jesus has the ultimate insights from which we can learn and be really, really wise. Uh, It's not the insights of Jesus that we're pointed to, it's the person of Jesus that we're pointed to. Jesus himself embodies the wisdom of God and brings it to us. So as uh, Tim Keller, blessed be his name, says, uh, Christianity doesn't offer an airtight argument. It offers an airtight person because Jesus is the wisdom of God for us. That uh, comes out a couple of ways. In In the gospel reading, we read that in the beginning was the word, the logos, the Greek's word for wisdom. And in the beginning was the Logos, and that is Jesus. He became flesh and dwelt among us. But he is the wisdom of God, meaning that he speaks to us from outside of our experience, outside of what we see under the sun. He comes to us and speaks to us uh, um, with the wisdom of eternity and the wisdom of God so that we know from what he says, we know things truly. We don't know everything we want to know. Uh, We don't understand a lot of things he said to us as well as we'd like to. But what he's told us we can rely on as being actually wise and life-givingly wise because of relationship with him. Um, 
And then when Solomon says what's crooked cannot be made straight and what's lacking cannot be counted, uh, Jesus comes into our crooked and broken world in order to rescue us and to set back right what has been warped by our rebellion against him. So he's come to our rescue, a broken world and broken people in it, find relief and rescue and hope in Jesus Christ that we couldn't get from what we could derive from our own wisdom. And so that's where we're left as Christian believers is to say, not that we hate the wisdom of the world, we actually love it. We find that a lot of people who don't know God at all, who don't have any interest in God, uh, can teach us a great deal about life and how to live it. Um, But ultimately, our wisdom comes from being connected to Jesus Christ, who is himself the wisdom of God. So if you're living a life where uh, you're good at it, you know how to do everything, you just don't know why, you know how to make a living, you know how to make friends and relationships, uh, you know how to uh, steer your way through life in the path of least resistance and greatest prosperity, good for you, but the why questions matter. And Solomon is urging us to keep asking the why questions. Ultimately, the why is that we are made to love and enjoy God. That's what human beings are for. We're made to love and enjoy God. And that happens through connection with Jesus. That's the only way it really happens at all. And so um, what's under the sun, we say, isn't all there is. The wisdom that is futile uh, is just the wisdom under the sun. Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. And so to be a Christian is basically to be pinched awake by God. To be pinched awake by him. To see the truth of who he is and what he's done to come and rescue us. It doesn't mean that we still won't find wisdom vexing. We still won't be troubled by the idea that our lives are so short and death is so soon and prominent. But it does mean we have a hope beyond the grave and a hope beyond the Son in Jesus Christ. All right. Now let's pray.